0: to touch the
1: If you would turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6, we are in this Bible series on David. We said week one, David was a renaissance man, which means just that David was good at a lot of things, right? Really good at a lot of things. Really, really anointed with his writings, if you read the Psalms. Uh, a poet, uh, uh, a songwriter, um, a musician right he played for a king that's how good he was Uh, a warrior we saw him take on Goliath right we saw the courage that he had his dependence on God he he was a king one of the greatest kings in all the earth right he was a statesman he he had all those things but that wasn't the one thing right that wasn't the one thing that really set him apart that we that we point to. No, that, that one thing was that God said he was a man after his own heart. Wouldn't you love that to be said about you? Right. And looking at David, we, we want to see what set him apart, why he was those ways, what what impacted his life. And today we're we're looking at part three with just are gonna look at his passion. This is, uh, I think I taught this on Wednesday night, um, week one, maybe week two, about it. We're also doing a sermon series or a Wednesday night series on on David, and uh, I've enjoyed going through that. But um, today, we want to see David's passion. In in this account, David is now king. He's coming to the throne, and he desires to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first one, the best one, the only really good one, you saw that at the end. That's what the Nazis and everybody were going after. Uh, I can't remember if it looked like it should, but I think it did. But you you know what we're talking about, right? The, this ark, this wooden box that was plated with gold, it had two angels over the top with their wings, or cherubim, with their wings kind of pointing to each other. Right. It was placed in the Holy of Holies. It was placed in, in the central part of the tabernacle. And you're gonna notice that when we read this passage, God's presence was connected to it. Right? That was the valuable thing. It wasn't the gold. Right. So to bring the ark to Jerusalem was to bring the worship of God to the center of David's realm or the center of David's life. 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, would you stand if you're able in honor of God's word? If you're not able, stay sitting, but prepare your heart to receive God's word, right? David, again, brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. 30,000, guys. We've got five, 6,000 in Willard. He and all his men went to Baal in Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name. What name? The name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. They set the Ark of God on a new cart, uh oh, and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, cistrums, and cymbals. Have you ever been in a crowd of 30,000 people? Could you imagine what this must have been like? When they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day that place is called Perez, Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the Ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpet. Trumpets, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls, of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord you chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the lord's people israel i will celebrate before the lord i will become even more undignified than this and i will be humiliated in my own eyes but by these slave girls you spoke of i will be held in honor and michael daughter of saul had no children to the day of her death Father, we recognize this is your word, Lord. Father, would you soften our hearts? Would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Would you help us to understand it? Would you speak to us through it today? Would you help this to be a mirror moment that we can look and see if anything needs to be changed, if we need to repent of anything? Father, would you unlock the truths of salvation, Lord, to somebody in here that may not understand it fully or need to accept it, Lord? Father, we we thank you for your word. You thank you for this amazing gift that's been given to us, Lord. Father, we love you and give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, We see that David wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem, but two interesting things happen. We see the death of a man who seems to reach out and try to help the ark from falling right off a cart, and he's struck dead in that moment, which ends up angering David at first, and then it scares him, right? I think David realizes then that God is more holy than he thought, Then the ark goes to the house of Obed-Edom. As a result, the house is blessed. And I think in that moment, David realizes that God is more merciful, more gracious than he realized. Verse 16. This is after the ark of God comes into Jerusalem. This is... uh, how everything plays out as the ark of the lord was entering the city of david michael daughter of saul watched from a window and when she saw king david leaping and dancing before the lord she despised him in her heart they brought the ark of the lord and set it in place inside the tent that david had pitched for it and david sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the lord after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings he noticed this bless the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Very interesting. He's a king. Blessing the people was the job of a priest. But here he is doing that, right? Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins to each person, the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. All the people went to their homes. These cakes that were given out, right, would have been great and expensive delicacies. They would have cost a lot. And and notice, he, he gives them not just to the men, not just one to each family. No, he gives it liberally, right, to everyone in the crowd. What's he doing? And why does Michael despise him. Well, he's out there mixing it up with the people, with the common people, right? He's blessing them. He's dancing before them. What's so wrong with that? That's not how a king acted, right? That's not how a king should act. That was the thought back then, Michael is the daughter of the previous king, right? Raised in royalty, she sees this display and is mortified by it. Dancing in your underwear, giving things to the common people, kings don't act this way, right? It's important for a king to be regal, it's important for a king to be dignified, to display power and authority. You should act your station. But she sees him dance. And so when they meet, she comes to him and says this, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in view of all the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David distinguished himself, didn't he? Very much so from the previous king, her father, in the way that he acted. And notice his response. He says to her, it was before the Lord. That's who he's dancing before. Not all these other people. He's dancing before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. This might sound like a slight, a dig kind of going against her family, but it's not. What he's saying is simply this, man. I was dancing before the Lord because the Lord chose me. The Lord chose me, a shepherd boy, least in my family, over everyone that he could have chose to lead this nation of Israel, of everyone who is of royal priesthood blood, right, in the line of Saul at this point. He didn't choose any of them. He chose me, and so I am going to worship him. I am going to dance before him, and if I get undignified, so be it, right? I'm not going to worry about how I look to anyone but him. You see, I'm not going to be like all the other kings. All the other kings of the world, right? I'm not worried about being respected among the elites. I'm not worried about elevating myself because I realize that the, God's already done that, right? The common people, they'll hold me in honor. Very different from the previous king, Saul. We, we looked at him week one, Right? Do you remember? He was worried about what everyone thought. He was worried about what his soldiers thought, and so he ended up not following what God told him to do because he was worried about them. He he erected a monument in his own honor. He he was envious. He got jealous of some song lyrics that spoke about this young man named David. A normal king wants to be worshipped. Wants to be held in high regard and acts in a way to encourage that. But David knew where he came from. David was confident in what the Lord had already done, so he was going to worship him no matter how it looked, right? I admire how passionate David was with his worship. He was free, right? Think about all the pressures that would have been on him, right? Is, is this David really worthy of kingship? That's what people would have been wondering. That's what he's probably wondering, how people look at him. There would have been all this pressure, all these expectations for this boy to be king and to act dignified, but David got to the point where he was like, I don't care. The only person that matters in what they think is the one who put me here, right? Right? to be at peace like that. That's a beautiful thing. how do you get there? I think these two incidents before this helped change his life. Going back to the first one, when he starts to bring the ark, right, they place it on a cart and there are these men walking with it. One ahio in front of it and then this other Uzzah alongside of it or in the rear, right? The oxen stumbled, and the man Uzzah grabs a hold of it to steady it. Here is this incredibly valuable thing that is normally in the most holy of holy places, and it appears like it's going to fall off this cart. And so Uzzah grabs it to steady it, and he's struck dead. David's reaction at first is he's, mad at God. The first time I read it, I kind of was thinking the same things. This, this doesn't seem right that God would do that. After all, he was just trying to protect it, right? What's going on here? We know that there were all these rules surrounding the tabernacle and the ark and the holy of holies. In all other religions, they have similar rules, right? Rules that you follow in order to appease the gods, that they pertain to you. You follow the rules to make the gods happy, or you face their wrath. But that's not what's going on here. If you read in Deuteronomy 4, Moses speaks before he dies and he's speaking to all the people about these rules about these laws that god gave on how they were to worship him and how they were to approach the the ark and the tabernacle right and he says something very interesting in this passage when he's talking to them about these things he says if you obey all these laws the world will know what a glorious god we serve you see the difference The world will understand who God is. What that means is the Ark of the Covenant, and and really actually the whole tabernacle worship scheme, is a message to the world. It's a revelation from God about who he is and, and what it takes to be in relationship with him. It was about God revealing himself through these truths, through these symbols to the world. This is who I am, and this is how I must be approached, right? This is how I'm going to save the world. This is a gospel presentation, and we're going to see that just through the ark alone. So the rules around the ark are crucial because they're part of the message to the world of who God is. If the rules are forgotten, if the rules are disobeyed, if the rules are not carried out, then what does that do to the message that prevents that true message of God to go out to the world? It's messed up. What's the message of the ark? The first part of the message of the ark has to deal with one of the things that was inside of it, the Ten Commandments. There was a a, a pot of manna and Aaron's staff also inside of it. But the the actual stone tablets, right, with the law written down on them from Mount Sinai, they were contained there. You, You couldn't touch it. You couldn't draw near to it, right? There were rules that had to be followed when transporting it. The, the, the moving of the ark as it transported was transported through the wilderness, right? When it was going from spot to spot, there was a certain way to do certain things. First, it had to be covered. Nobody could see it. Second, the only way it was to be carried was by people. They were to use these poles and put the poles through the metal rings on the side of it as they carried it along. And third, only the Levites could There were a certain group of people that were set apart who spent their entire life in in the job of worshiping God, and they were to be the ones that were responsible for this. So when David has it moved, they get it wrong, right? It was supposed to be covered. It doesn't seem like it was. It shouldn't have been moved on a cart. It wasn't supposed to be on that. The Levites should have been carrying it with these poles. It was not to be touched. Uzzah knew that. Uzzah knew he was not supposed to touch the ark, but he did so anyways, and he died. The God that we serve, my friends, is different than any other God if you have not realized that by now. Far different. People think all religions are the same. (laughs) Ours is far different, right? Every religion has a temple, has holy things, holy objects. And in those temples and with those holy objects, you're actually encouraged to touch those things. If you go to them and you see those things, you'll actually see that they're worn from people touching them. They're often seen as being magical or bestowing a blessing on people if you can touch this. If you touch these things, if you, if you make the way to these things, right, you will show to these gods that you're devoted to them. And these gods would be pleased by that. That's why with every religion bar ours, you earn your salvation. You earn it, right? If you're good, outweighs your bad. If you are a good person, if you try hard enough, if you sacrifice enough, right, you will earn God's favor, But we are the only religion that says there is a distance between you and God and you can't earn your way to him. How do we know that? Well, that's what the law shows us. The law, like the Ten Commandments, actually condemns us to death. Condemns us to be separated from God. That's the message. The, the law will result in our deaths because no one can live that law out. No one can possibly follow those rules perfectly. No one can be righteous, righteous enough. No one can live up to the Ten Commandments. They just show us that we're a, a failure. In our religion, if there's going to be any salvation, it won't be from our efforts. It's gonna have to come from another place, right? That's what David learned when God struck down Uzzah. God is holy, God is unapproachable, right? The law, what Uzzah touched when he grabbed a hold of the ark, brings a death sentence because we can't carry it out. How are you doing with the Ten Commandments, right? When the oxen stumbled, Uzzah touching it was a message that said the opposite of what the gospel proclaims. Think about this. His touching it was him saying, I'm good enough. I'm a good enough person. It'll be okay if I touch this holy thing of God. It, it says, God needs my help. God needs me to help him. That's not the message of the gospel, though, right? Right? God doesn't need our intervention to be saved. That's pride that reaches for the ark. The, the worst thing that could have happened if it would have fallen on the ground, right, is they would have to just pick it up. Maybe something gets dented, I don't know. But instead, he, he says he knows better than God. He reaches for it with pride. Listen, we don't contribute. You gotta get this. We don't contribute anything to our salvation. Not one thing. Do you get that? There is not one thing that we add. There is not one way that we help God with our salvation. You got to get this. And I think you'd agree with that. But here's where you might disagree with it. If that's true, And listen to me. If that's true, then nothing you can do can take away from God's salvation. Nothing you can do can corrupt God's salvation. You can reject it, right? You can reject it. You can make that decision to divorce yourself from God. But if you've accepted him and you're walking in that path, there is nothing that you can do. To make the cross null and void. Nothing. Some of people struggle with that. Some people think that they've committed the, the um, unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is rejecting God's grace. That's what it is. It's saying, I'm good enough. I'm a good person. I don't need it. I don't accept it. I don't want it. But if you accept God's grace... Right? There's nothing that you can do to take that away. There's nothing that you can do to dis earn it. To think that, right? To think that is to think that God is dependent on you to save you. To think that is to think that what he did on the cross is not good enough and you have to add something to that. That's grabbing a hold of the ark and thinking, I need to save God, I need to help God out in this endeavor. My friends, he's got it. He paid the price. He made the way, right? And he doesn't need anything from you to help him out with that. Like I said, the only thing that you can do is to divorce God and reject him. That's the only way that you'll ever lose it. The, the uniqueness of our God, the uniqueness of our religion is that it is a religion of grace There is a distance between us and God. He is holy. We cannot draw near on our own efforts, right? That's what the death of Uzzah shows us and proclaims to the world. It's a part of the message of the gospel that we need to get. We need to see the seriousness of our sin and realize what it brings, right? But thank God there's more to the message, right? Thank God there's more to the Ark of the Covenant. David realizes The holiness of God, the terrifying holiness of God that we cannot draw near to him, and it scares him, scared him so much that he let the ark go to the house of this Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The fact that it went to this house, though, the fact that it blessed this house shows us the other part of the message. It showed David that even though he's holy and unapproachable, this God wants fellowship with man. This God wants to bless mankind because he loves us, right? Did you catch Obed's full name, Obed Edom the Gittite? He's a foreigner. He wasn't even born a Jew, right? He was grafted in, though, and he became a a Levite. David dumps the ark on him. If, If God is dangerous, let's give it to the foreigner, right? This foreigner had reverence for God, though. And God blessed his household. David learns the second great lesson. God is holy, but he is also a God of grace. To the Jew and to the foreigner. Right? To the world. The Jews thought that they were God's people, the only ones that were God's people, the only ones deserving of God. Right? But God shows them, when he strikes down one, that's not the case. And when he blesses another who's not truly born a Jew, right? There's something more about this. My friends, we're all sinners. Not one of us should think that we're good. The law reminds us of that. This shows us that God's grace is available to us though, right? To all of us. David realizes this and wants to bring the ark into the city. David read the law and discovers that what they did, they did it wrong, right? First Chronicles 15, 13 says, it was because of you the Levites did not bring it up the first time in the way that the Lord our God wanted broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So David Realizes that they made a mistake, right? And we see David adjust. Second Samuel six thirteen. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Notice too, he was wearing a, a linen ephod. They're they're transporting it right. And they also add sacrifices. If you go to, back to Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you go back to the temple worship, you see something about the ark. You, you see that there was this one day out of the year where the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies and look upon the ark. The high priest first goes to the altar of burnt offering those and out in front where he sacrifices a bull, sacrifices a fattened calf, and then he took the blood into the holy of holy places. And there was the ark with the law in it, right? With our condemnation in it. But on top of the ark was a slab of gold. And do you know what that slab is called? It's called the mercy seat. The mercy seat where God was supposed to be seated. And from this place, he was supposed to dispense mercy and grace to man when the blood of the atonement was sprinkled there. If the high priest sprinkles the blood, the sacrifice for the atonement for sin, the mercy seat shields the high priest from the law, from the condemnation of the law. God says he speaks to us from over the mercy seat. My friends, that's the picture of the gospel, is it not? You can't approach a holy God on your own righteousness. The only thing that will get in the way of that is the mercy seat, right? Not anything that you can do, don't you dare think that you have anything but filthy rags to offer. But there was a sacrifice, right? A sacrifice for sin. By God's mercy, now he can be approached. God can open the way and justify you and me. We know when Jesus came, he told us. He was the way, the truth, the life, the life from that condemnation, right? David learned through these two things, I'm a sinful man. I'm more lost before a holy God than I had realized. But at the same time, he learned that his God is a God of mercy and grace. (laughs) And he desires to have a relationship with me. He learned grace is greater. Amen? What's the understanding do for David? We see it, right? It leads to great joy, it leads to dancing, it leads to worshiping this God of mercy and grace. David didn't see the full message that we see today. Hebrews 10.3 says this, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. That's the sacrificial system that was in place before Jesus, right? It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then he said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. And verse 10, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Somebody needs to hear that again. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus and our good works? No. Through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, now and until I sin? No. Once and for all. Don't you dare diminish the work of Jesus Christ. Don't you dare let the enemy speak lies to you about who you are, about who you belong to. You are holy, not because of anything I've done, you've done. You are holy because of one thing, because of what Jesus Christ did. You can add nothing. You can take nothing away from it. The only thing that you can do is reject it. That's the only thing. Don't forget it. The enemy will lie to you. The enemy will cause you to doubt it. Some people around you may cause you to doubt it. But there's the truth. And by that will, Jesus surrendering his will to the Father's will, right? We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. When he died... The veil was torn. We got the symbol, right? Ripped from top to bottom. No longer are we separated from God. No longer can we not approach God, right? Because of His sacrifice, we can be reconciled to Him. That's our job now, to be ministers of that reconciliation. That's our privilege to tell other people, you can be reconciled to God. The the law points that we're Separated, that were condemned to die, but mercy, but grace changes everything. Jesus makes a way. Not you, not me, Jesus, right? you see you can't add to that? Do you see you can't take away from that? All you can do, all I can do is live in gratitude to that. Right? One day I will stand before God and the only thing I will be able to say is I'm only here because of what you did. That is my only hope. Accept me because of what your son did for me, right? That is where I've placed my trust. That is where my faith is. That is where I want to live every day from here on out. That is what I want for my kids. That is what I want for every one of you. Amen? Stand with me. My friends. That understanding is where worship comes from. That understanding leads to dancing. That understanding leads to flag-waving, right? No matter what anybody thinks, I'll become even more undignified than this. I don't care what everybody else thinks. I'm going to praise the one who saved me. I'm going to celebrate before the Lord right? It's only by God's mercy and grace, and that is enough. I want to talk to two people today at this ending. And the two people are, one, if you've never made that decision, to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did, I want to give you an opportunity Do that. Maybe you've never realized it. Maybe you've never heard it. Maybe you didn't fully grasp it. I want to give you an opportunity to come right now and receive it. Is it awkward? Is it weird? Is it scary? Yeah. But you need to do it, you need to confess it with your mouth. And so I want to give you that opportunity. If that's you. The other person I want to talk to today is the one believing the lies of the enemy. The one believing that you add something to your salvation or you've done something to ruin your salvation. You need to hear that that's a lie. You need to get it. That you can't add to it. That you can't take away from God's grace. That the cross is it. The cross is enough. You need to hear that because maybe you haven't been dancing lately because you've been struggling with that. If you're one of those two people, I don't know if you are. Maybe you're all great. But if you're one of those two people, I want to invite you to come down right now. I'm going to give you a minute to make that decision to wrestle with that from God. Maybe the rest of us can pray right now. For these people, if there is anyone, but now's the time. Don't say no, don't let this opportunity pass. Father, this is your word. Lord, let it speak truth in our lives. Let it be the foundation that we build our lives upon. Let it be when the enemy comes against us, the hope that we cling to, no matter what the enemy says, Lord. Father, would you send us out from this place? Would you send us out with this message, Lord? that we are not good people, not one of us, but we are made righteous because of what you did on a cross for us. That is the hope that we have, Lord. That is the only way we can approach you, Lord. Father, let us be able to share that with somebody in the world today. Lord, let us be willing to be undignified. Let us not care about what people think, Lord but only care about you. Lord, we love you and we give you praise. In your name we pray.